Alzheimer's sucks. It's an equal opportunity disease that chips away at everything we hold dear. And to date, there's no cure. So until there is, we continue to fight with the most powerful tool in our arsenal, love. This is Love Conquers Alls, a real and really positive podcast that takes a deep dive into everything Alzheimer's, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And now, here are your hosts, Susie Singer-Carter and me, Don Priest. Good morning, hello, good afternoon, it's Susie Singer-Carter. And I'm Don Priest, and this is Love Conquers Alls. Hello, Susan. Donald, hi. Yes. What do you have to say to me? What's going on? Things. Things are going on. We're on a mission to do a a documentary that's going to knock the world's socks off about, uh, you know, elder care and long-term care and uh, things that I saw that I can't unsee and um, things that are important to everybody. It's a harrowing experience, though, because it's not the kind of subject matter that we are going to have fun with, but it's subject matter that we need to we need to do. So that's what we're doing. And, you know, just want to throw that out there. If you have a story of your own having to do with any kind of nursing home neglect, abuse, get a hold of us through our, through Love Conquers Alls on any of our, our contacts and, and share your story with us and maybe participate in this documentary because the more that we can talk about it and tell our stories, the more powerful we are. And, um, and that's what uh, we're trying to do. So that's, that's, that's where I'm at. My head's there, Don. Yes. Yes. And, um, and, uh, and my, yeah. So, I mean, we, we've just spent, uh, three long nights, uh, put, finishing up the trailer for this and we can't wait to, to get it out there because we are looking to, to do something special with this, with a long form documentary. And, uh, we are we are open to any and all who money. have uh, something to say and money. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we want we want to. We're open to people with money, not even for this, just in general who just want to in give general. Us money. There's so, well, there's a there's a there. It, it is my birthday next week, so I'm just saying. Yes. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I wouldn't be a Leo if I didn't, right? Absolutely. So there. send yeah. funds. To Susie yeah. Singer Carter's birthday, uh, <laughs> birthday, <laughs> birthday <fun>. slash documentary <laughs> extravaganza. <laughs> We're not proud. So, yeah, I'm a little proud. I'm a little proud. Yeah. So yeah. But let's 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 dive in. Unless you have something burning Absolutely. to talk about, anything. I really don't know. I'm going to golf later. That's that's. I can't wait for that. Okay. So, so anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Let us um, move on. Our guest that you're going to to introduce, um, I'm just excited about it because I had my own issues, which I'll share. So why don't you dive in and introduce our to. guest so we can get so we can get to the juicy part. I will. So Dr. Delon Canterbury is a board certified geriatric pharmacist who founded Geriatrics, a personal pharmacist-led consulting service that focuses not only on chronic medication management, but identifies that there is a lack of support for parents that are caregivers and for the elderly who need help in maneuvering a very difficult healthcare landscape. Uh, Dr. Canterbury was driven to find alternative natural solutions to our prescription drug crisis, not only for medical, but also economic reasons. 
His own personal experience with his grandmother, who suffered with dementia, propelled him to provide families with peace of mind through high-quality, evidence-based medication management. It is a noble cause indeed, and we are so proud to have him with us today. So let's say hello to Dr. Delon Canterbury. Hello, Delon. Hey, hey, everyone. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's really a pleasure to be here and support. Oh, we're, we're, we're excited to have you on. Thank you. And I love what you're doing. I just, my fear is that we need like a thousand Delons everywhere <laughs> because how, right? Like how, how yeah. I mean, what you're doing is so important and so incredibly innovative in that, or just empathetic and smart and all, all good words that, that would describe a, a mission that you're on. You do have, it's more than just, you're more than a pharmacist. You are, you are mission driven mm -hmm. and like, yeah, tell, tell us about your mission. For sure. I mean, my, my mission is to internationally advocate for our elder patients by reducing harm, reducing hospitalizations, reducing falls, you can name it, but basically we're getting rid of unnecessary and harmful medications. And it doesn't take being a clinician or pharmacist with advanced degrees and a ton of debt <laughs> to do that. So honestly, a lot of it comes down to advocacy and education. And when you start with that and start with asking the right questions, you can truly change lives. And that is the whole point of me being here today with geriatrics and doing my one-on-one -on -one services for my families and patients, but literally teaching other clinicians how they can do the very same thing. And it takes really not too much effort, but just a sense of passion and drive. So um, really here speaking from the heart and truly just hate the way our healthcare treats our seniors. I hate the way they toss them to the side and just use them as another number to fill a bed in a, in a nursing home. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think when we start getting back to aging independently, more than just filling your quotas, we can really, really significantly change for the better. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen to that. <laughs> I, 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 I second that emotion and, and, and third and fourth, because, the, you know, my, when you say you want to help other clinicians do what you're doing, how do you incentivize them? Because some people, I mean, I find, have found in my journey with my mom that not all clinicians and even clinicians in our, you know, niche community of dementia and Alzheimer's mm -hmm. don't really care. Yeah. Or they're burnt out. Yeah. No, don't get me they, wrong. Or they don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand. They True. literally do not understand dementia. They don't understand Alzheimer's. They make wild assumptions and, and you know, mm -hmm. and uh, d diminish and, and you know, they, they, they create these frames that don't really fit and put, the, put little, you know, put elderly mm -hmm. in, in these boxes mm -hmm. and, and treat them all the same. And we're all different we're yeah. all unique people every dementia patient is different there's no <laughs> same case really um but how do you incentivize them okay not everyone will be incentivized we have a health system that doesn't really really fund it so really what we do is show people that you can develop revenue generating streams while doing what's morally and ethically right with deprescribing. So it's not just a matter of talking to a doctor and saying, let's stop all these meds. 
there, there's a number of processes that have to take place. The number one thing I find is that people in this uh, particularly dementia space, Alzheimer's space, they don't always do a med review and they don't think to leverage their community pharmacist to ask, hey, what can I do to get rid of some of these meds? Because I'm telling you, there are over-the-counter meds, there are pills that people are taking that they think is safe that literally can throw someone into a nursing home, which is what exactly happened to my grandmother. So incentivizing them is, hey, do you want your loved one off of unnecessary meds? Do you want them to age independently at home? Do you want to really be assured that what they're taking is truly appropriate and life-saving for them? And if it's not, then you probably have room to stop it. And the truth is, most meds can be stopped safely. About 80% can be stopped pretty safely without really any side effects. So why aren't we incentivizing that? So there needs to be a, a nationwide policy change, one, for reimbursing people who are actively deprescribing. That's going to take a long time. But what we do in this program, and that's why it's called the Deprescribing Accelerator, is to teach people that you can develop this type of service, you can get paid for this type of service, and truthfully, you're going to build your brand because you are value-basing your company's services and future-proofing yourself because this is where CMS is going towards. So, And that's the Center for Medicare Services, which reimburses healthcare um, uh, practices done by providers, right? So right. we need and know that our elderly patients are getting older and they're living longer. And we have a high growing population with less and less providers. So all this means is an opportunity for people in this space to really develop a new service, to monetize said service, and then show that there's a way out that you're saving your patients' lives and improving their quality of life. And that's going to lead to more money to you because now they're going to refer their loved ones who are going through the same thing. So if you want to make it about money, sure, it's not about money. It's truly about serving. It's about being authentic in our purpose as clinicians in this space. And when you're able to go to work and actually feel aligned with that, you're going to wake up with a fire and you're going to want to help more and more people. I love what you're saying when you're talking about, you know, it's another revenue stream. And I do think, you know, that there are more people that are that are uh, wallet centered than heart centered and sure. that we you know and that our systemic issues you know just doing our our just getting diving deep into what's been going on with my had been going on with my mom in the last six months in this arena that you're talking about exactly and then knowing what i'm up against which is commerce how does that work because if you would like to explain what a formulary is and those kinds of things that we're up against in the institutional living situations where there are drugs that are pushed and 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 they mm -hmm. and they get kickback for it so mm -hmm. can you explain what a formulary is and how do we jolt the system to work in our favor mm -hmm. and not their favor sure so the sad part is it's not really all the system it's the american way of life we want stuff now we want stuff quickly and when you want stuff now and quickly and you're put in a bind if your patients may complain because the doctor doesn't want to give you a pill it's a tough position to be in that space so right. when it comes down to it truthfully there needs to be a rewiring of thinking there needs to be a change in policy and how we reimburse this type of service. There needs to be a push towards more value-based care. 
So yes, you may have some doctors out there who do get incentives and kickbacks to put people on whatever meds. That's not every doctor, sure, but you will find it. I'm not going to negate that. But here's the thing. When we start looking at how, say, say someone finishes our deep prescribing accelerator program and they say, okay, DeLon taught me that I can reduce falls in a nursing home by educating patients against not using Benadryl in dementia, right? Which is a really common thing that I've seen patients sent to the ER with and become confused and delirious. Imagine you help 10 people no longer go to their hospital because they you did a med review or you talked to them about this med, right? 10 in your facility. Do you know how much money those facilities are dinged if someone falls? Tens of thousands of dollars for one, for one fall. So with saving these lives, yes, it may be an indirect cost savings, but you're saving 10 people from falls. So what? They're not going to go through the morbidity of being in that hospital, maybe getting another infection while they're there, uh, of course, having lower quality of life. Now they're living longer in your facility. Now your facility isn't getting dinged for about, I don't know, 250K plus because of those falls and injuries in your setting. Now your patients live longer, and guess what? They're in your bed, so they can pay you if that's the case. So they already have metrics that incentivize deprescribing. The problem is we don't use it universally, and unfortunately, we don't even pay people in this space to do the damn job. So you're going to have people taking shortcuts. You're going to have people faking diagnosis codes in nursing homes so they can give them heavy antipsychotics and sedate them, which is what happened to my grandmother. And that has actually been on the rise during COVID, and we're not talking about it enough. So, again, this is more value-based, but when you start seeing the numbers like, hey, in this intervention, we've kept X amount of people from falling or dying or maybe having opioid-related constipation, right? These are all metrics that these facilities get reimbursed on. So when you're hitting those reimbursement numbers, you can quantify your savings, and that is what's going to drive people to make change. Indeed, agreed, a hundred percent. I mean that I, being a being a strong advocate for my mom, who also was has was a uh, victim to Depakote, and mm. um, Depakote, which is which is really not an antipsychotic drug. From what, it's it's really for, meant for epilepsy, and it, and it, they found that it was um, helpful in mentally tethering people with dementia and keeping them, you know, quiet basically. And it, and it's actually, and you can correct me, but from, you know, my research, well, the, I, when I, when I was told that my mom was on Depakote, I was told by her GP like five months after she was on it. And he said, do you know your mom's on Depakote? It's a black label drug, black box yeah. drug. And, and I was like, what, what? I had no yeah. idea. And mm -hmm. no wonder my mom's been acting like a zombie, and no wonder hmm. she's in a wheelchair and incontinent now when yeah. she was walking five miles a day. And that drug certifiably put her in a wheelchair for the rest of her life and, and made her incontinent, and it, she never got it back. And, and it's so damaging to someone with, with Alzheimer's, you know, as is a lot of drugs that we don't know about that, you know, like what you're saying can, in, first of all, it can exasperate mm -hmm. the progress of, of the disease. Um, 
and, and, and it can have dire consequences, you know, physically, mechanically, like you said, like with Benadryl, mm-hmm. and, and also just, you know, mentally, because they're already vulnerable, so vulnerable. It's, it's, it's so scary and so daunting. And I think, um, like, how, first of all, talk about your, your D, D, Deprescribing, like how do you do that? How how does one get involved in that? Can layman do it, or is it is it? Do you, must you be a clinician? Well, that's the funny part. Is everyone can technically do it when it comes to the actual process of guiding a patient through stopping a medicine? Yes, you're going to want your provider and your pharmacist on board to guide you along, right? But what I'm finding in this space is that honestly, everyone has the ability to de-prescribe. You know, it's it's pretty broad. And for instance, you and your and your mom, you noticed that she was on this antipsychotic, you realized it was causing harm. De-prescribing is literally asking, can we stop this? Mm-hmm. It's not harm, it's not helping. It's worsening the situation. So when I'm in this space working with my patients, I'm literally just teaching them, hey, you could probably stop these four. Uh, this is no longer necessary. This isn't effective ask your doctor. And then you end up seeing where that goes. I'm not saying to put it on the patient, but when they work with me, I actually do the asking for them. I work with the doctor and we develop a plan together. So it's not a silo, but deep prescribing is an active process. So you got to first have trust. You got to have someone who cares. You got to have someone who actually knows the drugs and it doesn't necessarily take you going to pharmacy school, but enough to know enough to ask. All right. Why is my loved one on two heartburn medicines? Right. That's one of the most commonly seen medications in seniors. They've been on omeprazole and Prilosec and all these drugs for literally decades and no one thinks to stop. Those are one of the easiest ones to stop. However, people don't realize that those meds do have harm. They're associated with osteoporosis. They're associated with falls. They reduce magnesium, which also correlates to how you um, may uh, control your calcium and vitamin D levels in the body. And guess what? That all correlates to fractures, right? Yes. So there's yes. a pipeline of issues that come from these meds. And they're not as benign as you. We, they were once used for. Don't get me wrong. We exactly. need meds. But yeah. meds all have a timeline. And until you start asking literally every quarter, not once a year, not once in a blue moon, every quarter, if your loved one is on more than five or seven meds, you need to be asking straight up every visit, hey, doc, what can we do to safely get off some of these meds? Can we taper some things here? Can we work on some diet to get off this cholesterol pill? Can we reduce our salt to get off some of these blood pressure meds? So yes, there's lifestyle changes, there's diet, there's stuff you can also do for uh, encouraging people with behavioral changes, right? But ultimately the incentive is, do you want your loved ones to live gracefully and independently in the best possible way? Or do you want them slumped over in your house like a zombie, you're paying 15K a month to put them in a memory care unit which could have been avoided because of one pill. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. We're so reactive. We're so reactive to healthcare. So why not proactively put the funds to help people do this? And that's what we do again in our de-prescribing accelerator program, which I lead and teach. And we're literally training clinicians who have this fire to put this into their place. So guess what? You're going to get more people coming to you because now they're doing better. They're living longer. And, oh, uh, Susie's loved ones just found out from that blonde that they didn't need to take that med because it's worsening dementia, like your grandma, right? 
We had one patient who was on 36 medications, okay? 36 medications, 70 year old frail woman, barely 90 pounds, and was literally just a walking zombie. And she came to us from her daughter, who was a, her caregiver, um, who was concerned that it was the meds and not just her naturally declining. And she was the one seeing her every day. She was taking three different types of meds that had Benadryl in it. She was taking Seroquel inappropriately. Of she was course. taking a seizure med inappropriately. It was, I think it was Caparel, Hibatira Sedum, uh, for no reason. <laughs> and there were like seven men and she was taking Dilaudid, a hard narcotic for no damn reason she was on benzodiazepines for no damn reason oh my so god how did she survive stuff, oh my god that's what i want to know and she had four different doctors she had a neurologist Jeez. she had a cardiologist that's, she had a general yeah. practitioner and no one no gave one a knows. Damn. So, i mean yeah. no one, I, exactly I'm, when my mom went yeah. into the hospital last my mom just passed away three weeks ago when my mom was in the hospital for the final two visits and the, the emergency doctor goes, well, you know, she, she had a wound, a, you know, a bed sore and um, they were giving her antibiotics for that already from the, you know, she was still on this like broad spectrum. And then he goes, and um, I think, you know, it's, we're, I'm seeing a little possibly some pneumonia now, so we'll probably get her started on some antibiotics. I go, well, wait, well, wait, she's already on antibiotics, so what are you talking about? Like, what? Mm. And I said, did you look at her records? Have you seen what she's on already? You know, this is before I even knew of you. And I was like, doesn't anybody look, I don't think people, I think they're so rushed, <laughs> you know, or yeah. I do think they're just overworked <clears throat> and rushed, but I, I literally was like, but you need to see what antibiotics she's already on right now. That probably isn't going to be the solution. Something else is causing this trifecta to happen. This whole, you know, ripple mm -hmm. effect, which it, which it was anyway, sorry mm -hmm. to interject, but that, that is, that happens so much. And you, you're, you know, as a, as caregivers, we're in vulnerable p positions. We're emotional, we're vulnerable, we're tired. And so we look to doctors to guide us to, you know, I, I can't tell you, Don, what's, what's the thing I heard the most in the past six months? Right. What do you what, want? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Not like here's what here's the, the literally situations that are, you know, you have no idea. You're not a doctor. You've never experienced it before. And they literally say, what do you want to do? As opposed to giving you suggestions, options right. and and then making an educated and possible consequences right that. right it's yeah. like here's yeah. what's happening with your mom what do you want us to do i, I well i didn't go to school for that i'm a writer <laughs> I, I i i write i write stories i i i i make i make things up you know like that's not me but but can you tell me you went to school for it tell me what i you what are my what are my options yeah. And, and, we're not and I think that. that's where, yeah, and that's where some of the, and this all built, because some of the options, usually for a lot of doctors, the only option is a drug. That's, that's what they've learned. That's what they know. And so my question is, how do you overcome that mindset that they don't know <clears throat> the alternatives? And then when you hear things like plant-based alternatives, things like that, they're, you know, that a lot of them just look at that or holistic anything. They go, that's not medicine. That's not how we do it. How do you overcome that? And I know it's with education, but I assume mm -hmm. you get a lot of pushback. Is that the case? No, 
Um, really? I don't get okay. push, pushed back. Good. I, I mean, not really. And it's because I come with evidence. I know how to speak their language. I understand how to give you clinical trials. I'm not telling people to just take kava kava and all these pills and suddenly you're better. I'm giving people options that align with what the patient wants and what the doctor wants. The doctor wants their patients well and happy, and they don't want to worry about them coming back for stuff that could be fixed and that's wasting their time. So if I'm saying, hey, if we're able to get her walking and have more fiber, there's no need for her to be on this prescription constipation med if we tackle that issue. So it's looking at the body holistically. And yes, I'm going against Western medicine. I get that. I believe in it too. I think they all have a place here. But when it comes to these providers, honestly, they want to save time and they want to see that whatever you're providing isn't BS and it's best for the patient. And the patient wants it, the what do you want to do approach will work. Because if it is with guided evidence, not just free for all, <laughs> you can't just tell people what you want to do. You got to give them some options. Mm -hmm. But when you have that level of, of, of connection uh, and trust, it, it it becomes a win-win-win. The patient's winning, the provider's winning, and I'm winning because now the pharmacist is integrated into that advanced care model that I think we don't do enough of. And people just think we're only associated with a pharmacy. Like, no, we are consultants and experts in drugs. Yeah. And the doctors, they don't, they don't know drugs. They get four to six weeks of school on pharmacology, yeah. yet legally they're the ones prescribing. What the hell sense does that make? What the so, hell sense is that? You're it, right. It doesn't make sense. None. It doesn't make None. sense. None. So, when you, yeah. <laughs> so they know, and this is why I, I'm, in, I'm in doctor group meetings all the time in Facebook, and we always talk about this, but they love pharmacists. Pharmac doctors love us. So when I come with, hey, you shouldn't do that, they're like, okay, sure, whatever you say, and it's like, good catch. Uh, yeah. But the problem is pharmacists don't know how to monetize that. They don't know how to serve like that and get paper to value because guess what we save lives every day and we save our health care uh tax payers who that are spending 600 billion dollars each year mm -hmm. just because of medications that are yeah. ineffective and causing harm and so that means yeah. 275,000 people die every year because of medications you have 275,000, that's 750 seniors a day that are hospitalized because of a medicine. So the costs are there. And if you can show you're reducing costs, then you can sell that as a service. And that's why deep prescribing is deeper than just stopping the pill. It's, it's a whole win for our healthcare system. Oh my God, I, I love it so much. I think it's so, I think it's, it, it needs to be a part, like you said, of the, of the team. You know, it, it needs to mm -hmm. have, right? I mean, it needs to be because, honestly, I mean, how many times have you gone to the doctor and they're like, hold on, let me just look up something. And they're looking up a drug because they've heard of something that they think might help be helpful, but they don't really know what it is. They just, they know, they're just trying to figure out something because you're right. Or the I interactions mean, that's not, with yeah, others. that's yeah, not, other not their, their expertise. So there is that. And you also, I don't know if you saw Dope Sick on the... The, uh, oh, um, it's on my wait list. I need to watch it. Okay, this is up your alley. You've got to watch it. We had the Attorney General, Rick Moncastle, who was the, uh, the subject of this on our show twice now because it's such a big subject. And, you know, and he, they went after Big Pharma, who went after, you know, the formularies and the nursing homes and targeted these places, you know, to, to use drugs yeah. that were, 
you know, not necessary. And and oh, more yeah. than that, harmful. and deadly, and yeah, deadly, and more than deadly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's why we're in the middle of a opioid heroin epidemic today, yeah. and uh, we actually dedicate a module in our deprescribing accelerator about how to deprescribe uh, patients who are suffering from opioid use disorder. So we discuss ways to tackle, of course, behavioral support. We talk about medication-assisted therapies like your Narcans that can save your life or Suboxone, buprenorphone, which is used to help people who suffer from that. Um, but we also discuss how there are grant opportunities for this. You can literally get federally funded grants helping people do right, get off of these you know, hard narcotics, and be an impact in your community. Like you're going to be able to serve people and do it the right way and get paid for it. So again, it doesn't have to take nasty, shady backroom pharmaceutical deals to help and serve. You can literally do this now. Um, but yeah, I need to see Dope Sick. You guys should definitely watch The Pharmacist. That's another Netflix series that was out two years ago. Okay. And it's literally about a pharmacist who chased down the big P Purdue Pharma family that... Um, ruined his neighborhood in, in Louisiana. So and that's also exactly, a great one. yeah. That's, that's exactly the, the same They're the story, subject of dope sick. Yeah. Yeah, dope sick. It was so, in West Virginia. And um, by the way, my brother, oh, yeah. my brother yeah. was a, uh, also a victim to OxyContin, and um, and he's been forever changed by it. I mean, it's it's a nasty drug. Yeah. Can can lay yeah. people? Could could I could I be uh, uh, that kind of uh, d d prescription counselor deprogrammer de I? I think i think it's yeah i mean you have a voice that that's literally it like you just gotta have a voice and passion i will say our program specifically is best suited for clinicians but frankly it's the clinician that's teaching the patient and the patient that's now advocating for their loved ones so really anyone could be a deprescriber in my mind I think clinicians are best suited. However, you have a voice that you can amplify, and with the right strategic partnerships, of course you can. It's, and the reason yeah, why I say why that, not? Delon, is because there used to be ombudsmen that you could go to at at you know at nursing homes and and assisted living. And yes, in all right. for all intents and purposes, they're there, but they're 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 fairly useless right now because their their hands are tied. But it would be great to have somebody like. A, you know, a, a, a drug ombudsman in a way that comes in and goes and really checks over and is the accountability monitor, for a lack of a better word, right? Somebody that goes in and checks the records and goes, okay, this person's on too many, let's look at this, you know. And obviously not, no changes would be made, but at least there'd be a, a red flag or something to, right. to, to alert. Right. How about exactly. that? Exactly, that's, that's the point. We need no, that, that's perfect. We that's... need ombudsmen to go that will do it. But they need to be, you know, listen, everyone needs to get paid. I mean, I, I, I want to know if there's a way to, to monetize that for anybody that is already in this arena and is wanting yeah. to help their, gra they, their granny yeah. like you or my mom like me or Don's mom, you know, or, or themselves. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we cover in our course. Again, we you, you can monetize this. You can be a straight up one-on-one -on -one service that you provide for people and educate. You can conduct workshops. One of our past cohort members 
is creating a de-prescribing conference for nurses and nursing homes here in North Carolina in the fall just to educate people on this. Uh, I have another one who is a health coach who is going to leverage de-prescribing for helping young adults um, using genetic testing. So that's another tool that you can use Beautiful. to de-prescribe and sell. You can, we actually already have people who are like uh, MBAs in nursing homes and, and pharmacy techs and social workers who do this and have shown cost savings. If you could show cost savings for anything, you can get paid for that. That's amazing. Okay, what so about going you can to monetize Medicare? a lot of this stuff. Would Medicare cover that? I mean, it, yeah, the, it, Medicare eh, doesn't quite technically reimburse it now, not to the level that I am taking it. Uh, they reimburse for doing med reviews, but not like this. Gotcha. This is more like fine-tuned art. And Medicare and insurers are actually the ones who win the most. And I'm seeing more people um, looking into kind of these concierge model approaches and the insurers are focusing more on patient satisfaction. So if you have someone who comes in and says, hey, I've helped 100 of your patients get off 20 of these drugs each or whatever, and you can say not only are you no longer paying for these claims on your back end, but I'm telling you that these can also cause harm, they're not going to end up paying for the bill when that person's in the hospital and that are better. So there is a quantify that as well. So the monetization is already there. We literally have a consortium of grant funding that goes to educating people on deep prescribing. Literally through nonprofits, we have it through the NIH, we have it federally through the US Deep Prescribing Network. So again, I give you all the tools in this deep prescribing accelerator. Wow. So it's not sign me up. Out. I give you the <laughs> Sign me up. I'm into yeah. it. And sign me up. I want to be one of them. I want to do that. I'm telling you, sure. sign up, you guys. Get or get your doctors to find. Like, talk about this. This is so freaking important. It's so freaking yeah. important. We're gonna live. Mm -hmm. Everyone's living longer. You don't want to live longer unless you live quality. And and I'm telling you, you quality. don't. You don't want to live. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I would tell my mom's doctors and her, her nursing staff, I'd say, if she's not living quality, what's the point? Like, we right. don't want, you mm -hmm. know, the, the quote unquote gray lumps in the bed. We don't, we don't want that. They don't want that. We want people that are living, right. like you said, with grace and dignity and joy. And, mm -hmm. and you know, yeah. at, at the moment, I, I, I'm here to tell you that and you know this, that that's not the majority of elder life quality. It's just not. No, not in this country. Nope. <laughs> I mean, we kind of have a culture of throwing people to the wayside. It's a dark thing to say, but it's the few people like us who actually, unless you're thrown into caregiving, if you're not in that space, we don't really care about the elderly. Is Let's be real. Like, look how we treat our vets. Um, but honestly, there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, and you're right about the quality piece, but um, look, <laughs> this is a problem that's not going away. It's only getting worse. So why not act now versus waiting till the ish hits the fan and you end up with some a situation that you want to be in and you're unprepared. You're you're just wondering how to do this, and it shouldn't be this way. It's beautiful. I love what you're doing so much. I can't. I mean, I just think you. Like I said, I. I I feel like your job is daunting because it's so like you're so needed. What you're doing is so, so freaking important. 
and um, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm just amazed that you've come forward and, and want to do something like this, and you're very unique in this field, you know. Thank well, you. no, because it's, you're thank welcome. You. No, thank you, because, you know, drugs are big money, and, <clears throat> you know, and so anywhere, anytime there's money involved and there's ways for people to make money and good a lot of it, you're going to have nefarious activities going on. And unless we step up as, as, a, as a society or as a community, not to, not to get on my soapbox, but hold on, let me step on it for a second. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I mean, we have to take it in, we have to take responsibility into our own hands because when we say, well, they'll take care of it. No, they'll is us. They is us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the practical process because my mom personally is about to next week start her life now in assisted living and they the the place they're going through they are going to be taking care of her meds or administering her meds and so we had a pre-meeting before and they said okay have come in and bring all your medications that you're on currently and to mm -hmm. my shock <laughs> there was a huge bag <laughs> filled with all the medications she's currently taking and mm -hmm. What what would so I'm I'm like okay I don't want her on all these meds I think it's partially responsible for the condition she's in right now, and I come sure. to you. What is the process as far as take 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 us through the process? I come to you and yeah. So first thing we do is talk to you and the patient and see what all is she actually taking now not what she's had for the last five years. So we'll do a med review, basically. We'll do a comprehensive, in-depth med review. So first we'll see what she has in that bag. We're gonna put them all out on the table. We're gonna literally go through each and every single one and we're gonna ask, do you know what this is for? Do you know why you're taking this? How long have you been on this? Is it still working? Is it not working? Is it effective? Is it the right dose? Is it safe? Is it appropriate for your kidneys and liver? Blah, blah, blah. And if we go in and literally do a meticulous review, it should take about an hour to do all that. And we're gonna look and see, all right, you don't quite need these. We're gonna basically separate what's nonsense and what's essential. So once we have this, what we also do is compile a risk of our, I'm sorry, a list of our de-prescribing action plan. So basically we look at, based on your patient's age, health conditions, quality of life, their goals, the caregiver's goals, and we're gonna see, all right, let's develop a plan and give this to your provider and see what they wanna do. Once they have that list, it's gonna be evidence-based, it will have the reasons why. And this is, a, is gonna be on the doctor's um, uh, permission to approve with us stopping meds. Because legally, I cannot tell anyone to stop anything without a doctor's permission. That's for anybody. So when we're doing this, we're basically giving them the cheat sheet to make everyone's life easier. And additionally, we also provide genetic testing. So as a part of our medication de-prescribing efforts, we require all of our patients to get a genetic test a cheek swab where you're able to see which medications are problematic based on your genes, not just based on your reception or, you know, just, well, the last thousand patients did this. We are all different. And yes. even though we're same and we the same, your responses to drugs are so oh different. God. So genetically, yes. I have to know 
what is going on before I make strong recommendations. Oh so that's also required. I ship that to you anywhere in the country, and that's included with our de-prescribing package. So now your doctor has a record of what is appropriate for you. And trust me, I have found rare sensitivity reactions. I've found people with rare clotting disorders. I've found people who have a low reception to serotonin drugs. You name it. I find a lot. I've even done it for myself, and I've I've got some genetic markers I wasn't even aware of. So um, it's truly life-saving having this level of knowledge because this is how far medicine has come. So why not mix that with the holistic oh, stuff and it. do both that we know is evidence-based? I love it. So that's how I it love it. Wait, wait, definitely. I, I got to ask you this. So <laughs> I, so my I, I work on in, my in, intuition and instinct because I'm not, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I am a mommy and I've been... I, I, I get instincts and you know intuition on things, and I've always I've always had that feeling that we are all different, and on and one drug for one person is not going to be the same for the other. Okay, I want to get into a darker sure. subject because I'm it's been on it's it, this is my experience in the past year, which is hospice, you know, and and the first thing you hear about hospice is. Well, we're going to put her on morphine and she'll be fine. She's going to be really comfortable on morphine. Don't worry about it. Well, what about, are you still going to suction her because she has pneumonia because she, she's having trouble breathing? No, she won't need that because that's invasive. We'll just give her more morphine. That's going to make her comfortable. Is it going to make her comfortable or mm -hmm. is it just going to make it so difficult for her to say I'm uncomfortable? You know, I'm asking, right? Because, because, and also, how do we know that morphine works the same on everybody? You know, we get, we, oh, it we blanket give morphine to everybody as they transition. And what if it mm -hmm. made them anxious? What if it makes them feel like they're drowning? What if it, you know, whatever. And I kept, I, I yeah. literally kept saying, I, <clears throat> I hear you. I hear you. I don't want my mom to be uncomfortable, but I don't want her to be uncomfortable. So that's why I'm questioning you. Why are we giving her just morphine? Why aren't we keeping her comfortable by keeping her lungs clear? And, you know, and anyway, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there because, you know, my instincts told me I don't know how my mom is. I, I don't know her reaction to morphine. I know that I'm allergic to certain things that may, that may make you feel comfy. Like, you know, like, Don, you love Ativan. It doesn't make me feel the same way. Sure. Right? <laughs> but, and also when she, and she has Alzheimer's and she can't communicate. So, right. you know, <laughs> that's, that's right. the other issue when right. you, when they can't tell you how it's making you feel. Yeah, that's that does make it much more tricky in the approach. Um, but I mean, your instinct is right. People don't respond the same to those type of drugs and opioids in general. There's some people who take a pill and it doesn't touch their pain. And there's some people who are completely over sedated with one pill. Right. Everyone's bodies change as we age, specifically they are with our, with our elderly. Um, and so. When you have these reduced responses, you're going to have variable side effect profiles. People may be, you know, you know how that goes. Um, but you're right. And, and when it comes to opioids specifically, there actually is a genetic component to it. Uh, I think morphine is actually a, a drug that actually turns into codeine when it's in the body. And if you don't have that pathway, at, like regular in your body genetically, then you're going to be more likely to have side effects. You're going to be more likely to be sedated and tired and not have any analgesia, which is pain relief. Or there are people who are so good at clearing the drug that it ends up working tenfold 
higher than it was supposed to. So that dose, you don't, again, you don't, you don't know until you witness the patient or you have a genetic test, which I provide one-on-one for anyone anywhere in the country. Um, and I can tell you, hey, based on this, we can reduce harm by choosing another drug or switching to this or lowering the dose and seeing how that does. Wow. So there is a genetic component. There's variability. But even just as we age, their bodies are so sensitive. So you have to treat them like exactly. little babies and essentially as best in their way. You're on to it. You got yeah. it. I mean, definitely. I agree with you 100 percent. And I always tell people I was, you know, I, I think about like my brother who had an issue with OxyContin. You know, for him, I remember him when he was first on it going, you know, because he was taking it for back pain. And he was like, oh, my God, I feel like Superman. Like, I, he could, he'd be up for three days. He could, he could work for three days. He was in IT. And he, you know, whereas if I took, I mean, just, just Valium or Codeine, I'm out. Bye. See you in a week. Like, I'm, I, it puts me out, you know. And, and, and then, you know, conversely, I can go to sleep on a cup of coffee and some, you know, I, caffeine does nothing to me. Like I, it, it doesn't make me stay up or, and you know, it's just, everybody has different reactions. It, it actually mm-hmm. can make me sleepy if I take too much coffee, caffeine, I can get sleepy from it. So, mm. you know, I think that I look mm. at that and I go, you know, my brother got, it, he almost had like a Coke, a Coke response from Oxycontin giving him energy. Yeah. Right. So and I've heard that from other people as well. But I think it's his, you know, he's we're totally different, chem, you know, just physically. He's always been a big guy. He's always been, you know, over carried a lot of weight, we just different kinds of genetic. We 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 got the different, you know, in the pool of genetics, we pick we, we were given different genes. And so I, I just think if you look at what you're saying, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. And then, like you said, as people age, they become much more vulnerable like children and much more delicate. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. 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 so I, I think there's a you know, there are perceptions about holistics and, you know, that true or not, you know, people like, OK, so we always want the easy fix, which is a pill. Pills are a very easy fix. I take it and I feel better. That's the concept, at least, mm-hmm. as we know, that's not necessarily the case. And so you're, you're going to come back and say, okay, instead of this pill, you're going to take these three herbs or I don't know, I'm being, I'm, I'm coming up a very uh, <laughs> unknowing position, but how do you deal with people not complying because it's more, maybe it's more work instead of this one pill, I have to take these three things or, you know, because that compliance is everything. It, it's, it's everything when it comes to the So pill. that, that to me. Uh, it's a good question, but it's the opposite of what I do. I'm not going to make your life harder if I'm developing a plan for you. So I'm not going to substitute more stuff and supplements just because it's natural. If you want that, sure, but I'm not going to put that on you. I can give you the option, but uh, that's, to me, the opposite of de-prescribing. My point is to get you off of everything, herbal, OTC, lotions, eye drops as much as possible. So. I don't want you on herbals if it's not even working, and that's not always the best clinical judgment anyway, because you're telling someone to take something that isn't quite clinically proven to do something. But anyway, needless to say, when it comes to being open to that, some patients want that, right? I have patients who are all natural, right? 
And they don't even understand that some of those natural meds have just as much harms as the prescription mm -hmm. or they're not regulated or they have contaminants. I, I had one patient who was taking like cayenne pepper and cinnamon to help with uh, like appetite suppression, right? And, and weight loss. And she didn't realize that that was what was causing like chronic GERD and acid reflux and heartburn. And she ended up taking medicine prescriptions, expensive prescriptions for it and failed them twice. And it took her two years to realize when she met me that she didn't need to take those herbal supplements because that was what was causing her issue. So she stopped them, her stuff got better, um, but now I think she has residual acid reflux from because that. Because damaged. Just, just oh my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. Naturals aren't always safe. So I, I, we literally have a module where we talk about the dangers of herbal supplements and over-the-counter medications, because guess what? Our seniors are the highest consumer of that. 40% of our country, the people who buy that, they're, they're older, they're elderly. So if you don't know those like genetic interactions, I mean, <laughs> it's just as dangerous as taking like For oxycontin. sure, like wow. St. John's Wort and things like that, and you de you don't know about, and it sounds all it's, yeah. yeah, that's a huge and one. And like, and also mm -hmm. there's a there's so much advertising, you know, in our that to our vulnerable, you know, yeah. s that population, and and it's like try Prevagen, <sighs> it's Prevagen, messed up, and you you know it helps my yeah, I hate right. Prevagen. I yeah. hate Prevagen so much. Thank um, you. This, there are only two countries in the world that allow direct-to-consumer marketing of drugs. It's us and New Zealand for some reason. I don't know why. But there are only two in the world. Everywhere else, it's illegal to directly market to consumers. But here we are. So, yes, there is a dark side to this, but there is a but way this so can be done. it's so confusing. I really mean, this is why out, you're so important because it is so confusing. It's like, wow, you know, because... Listen, we work. Don has been working in marketing his whole career as a you know editor and a producer, and you know we know how 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 powerful marketing is, right? It's really powerful, and you have, like you said, Prevagen and and all these other kinds of drugs, and then and then the the you know the the typical rattle off of of uh, caveats at the end, and they, and and each and every one of them says, and if you're allergic to this drug, please don't take it. Well, how the hell do you know if you're allergic to it until you take <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, tell oh, your tell your doctor, <laughs> <laughs> tell your doctor that you're allergic to it. Yeah, like, please what? don't take Prevagen if, I, if you're allergic. <laughs> yeah. If you have an allergy to Prevagen, or okay. or a human if you're breathing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. In 2019, FDA also claimed that the company that is advertising for Prevagen failed to disclose thousands of adverse reactions, including seizures, strokes, worsening symptoms of multiple sclerosis, chest pains, tremors, and fainting, as well as memory impairment and confusion, the complete opposite of what it's supposed to do. So, again, you can't just take things at face value. you got to really really do your homework yeah. and have a, an advocate, a de-prescribing advocate, a pharmacist as your best friend so you can avoid these unnecessary oh expenses and waste Every, of time. We need so, you. I'm telling you, we need, yes. we need, we need you. At, we need like a whole, uh, like this should be something that you graduate and get a certificate for that you need to go to college and, and that, and it should be required in every <laughs> That's what I provide. Yeah, but but you <laughs> you get a certificate. You're just after. one person. You're just I'm. You're just I one am. lovely human being, you know. And uh, we need you. We need you. But we need more of you. 
We need people to jump on board. Yeah. Oh, no worries. I, that, my de-prescribing accelerator is literally building an army of people. So this will be my third cohort this fall. So I already have seven de-prescribing people beautiful. just like me now since they graduated beautiful. my so, program. Yeah. So more will come. And I only launched this year. So I have no there's doubt. More to come. You're going to win a Nobel uh, Peace Prize. Yeah. I'm telling you. You're amazing. And it's going to be CE accredited too. So people who just need to get their CEs for the year, they can use it as a business expense. What is a CE right for, for our, our layman? It's continuing okay. education, and it's required for people who are working in a field to maintain their gotcha. license every year. So that means it's easier beautiful, to get it. So the the know. service that you are providing is obviously it's invaluable. It's it is, it, but there's probably a, a value to it. I mean, there's a cost. Is is it a sure. cost that is that pretty much everyone can handle? Is it something that hopefully in the future that insurance may cover? Because it seems to be that's something that they would want to get involved in. What are what are the costs and and uh, and yeah, I mean, where where are we at on that right now? Are you talking for about your, for patients yeah. who need help? For, let's say my for course. my mom. Let's say my mom has all this, and I okay. want to get her involved in your program. And she doesn't have a lot of money, and you know, obviously, I don't think insurance covers this right now. So, what are the realities of using no, this for the person who either has no income, low income, or you know, wherever they're at? Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, my prices are are it. my model's cash based. I can't bill insurance, so there is a bit of an investment. However, I know how it is to be on a fixed income, and our seniors average what 20k 23k a year in retirement so they're getting a very very small pension from medicare or check to, to survive um so what i do to, to work with them is develop a financial plan um, i do installments i do payment plans for people um but it's gonna still take an investment because i need you to have the energetic exchange to tell me you want to change you know you're not going to pay four figures and not change, you know, you're, you're, you need some buy-in and the level of service this can provide if I'm say, keeping someone out of a hospital or taking someone off of four pills because they're working out more, you're going to end up saving more than that hospital bill you could have gotten just because you left it unmanaged. So when you work things differently, like, hey, do you want to pay uh, a couple uh, hundred, a thousand now? Or do you want to pay later when you're in a nursing home and you're forced to do it and you don't have the money right. or whatever? Or, you know, so you got to see how people may want to consider if it's best for them now. Like, are they ready to make that change? Is there a is there a, a motivation behind it? Um, but is it feasible? Yeah, it's feasible. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not in this game to make it hard for people. I want people to get this service and there are times where I've done it for free and people have paid me after because how much i've helped them and is so it, if yeah. i can do that then i know more is it ongoing i mean how does it work as far as let's say you know somebody like my mom who's you know 88 years old and she, sure. we you know hopefully she'll be mm -hmm. living for quite a long time and her conditions may be changing yeah. so is it uh, is it a one-time fee is it ongoing is it a monthly or as used how does that work yeah so you can choose two options there's a one-month plan where we do everything i pretty much said today um, and I just give you all the recommendations and you take forth and go and conquer. 
And then there are those who are maybe a little more complex and they need ongoing services. And so that's where there's a monthly retainer package where you can have me 24-7, concierge, text me, need me, anything. And that's what I have for some of my patients now. I've had them for a couple of years and they just pay me on retainer. And that's fine. So essentially how you have your own lawyer on retainer, this is what pharmacists are doing. And this is what I'm doing and what I'm teaching people how to do. So it depends on your needs. I don't want to take your money if you're fine after one month. If you're fine after one month, boom, we've done our job. We can go ahead. But yeah, it's an ongoing process. Deprescribing isn't a one-stop shop. You have to continuously do this um, until you're on as little as possible. Yeah, and I think that it needs to be, and I'm sure you already have this in your radar and and or you're doing it now, is that, you know, like I said, getting somebody that is that liaison between the patients or the residents who actually and, work you know who are actually in each nursing home who are actually in every hospital <laughs> yeah it, it they so that's my personal mission the sad part is they kind of have that and they're not good <laughs> they they're not effective like they so the sad part is some of these nursing homes have it's not a sad part, but what I find is some of these nursing homes have these long-term care pharmacies within them, right? So they do the pharmacies in-house and they give them to the patients. They actually have people that are supposed to audit and go through all of their beds, all of their patients, and they're called technically consultant pharmacists, and they're contracted with LTCs. Now, they are strictly looking at Medicare laws that say you can only take this drug for 14 days or they they do they literally do have processes where people are doing this. The issue is they are not incentivized to deprescribe so to speak. They're not incentivized to get everyone off of everything. They're just like, "Okay, what does Medicare say? Can I do that?" Okay, boom boom boom. All right, you're good. And the problem is I think these consultant pharmacists want to do what I'm doing. They're just tied because they are still exactly. working for the pharmacy, which depends on those pills to be filled and and right. get that reimbursement. They're so not patient-centered. They're not patient-centered. They can do it, but they don't. Right. They're not. They're, they're supposed to. And then guess what? It's one pharmacist who's doing med reviews for 30, 50 beds. It's clinically impossible to do the best care right. in that model. And it's also so a different job. If we were to reimburse. It's a different job. It's a whole different job. It's not just, see, I'm not going in looking at a exactly. Medicare checklist and auditing. I'm going in with, what are you on? Exactly. What can we get you off of? Totally how can different. I save you money? And exactly. how can I improve your quality of life? And that doesn't always translate to those Medicare metrics. It, it does for the patient, but it doesn't make the money or the bottom line for exactly. some of those consultant pharmacists. So I'm giving people a twist on that saying, hey, you guys have the intellect. Let's get you paid off of how much money you've saved the company because you've reduced uh, X number of opioid prescriptions in your clinic, or you've stopped NSAID use in people that have heart failure, or dementia, Benadryl, you've stopped, you know, little things like that. Because you can't always quantify it, but if you're living longer, you've got your beds filled, you can get that claim back. So there's a whole... (laughs) And then, of course, we haven't even talked about insurers that actually want to pay for this type of stuff because there are Medicaid plans that are dying to have people like me consult 
in this space because they're reducing unnecessary spend and their patients are doing better. So there's a bigger picture to small insurers. Workman's Comp is another one that's a billion dollar industry that isn't talked about. A lot of seniors deal with that. And we can provide other alternate ways to get people better care and not have Workman's Comp pay for all these opioids that the patient still ends up having pain six or seven out of 10, which is often the case. And so. other and other side effects, yeah, and other side effects causing other things that they then need to take a pill for. I assume you're going to get some, once you get to a position where you are prominent, uh, you're going to get pushback from probably big pharma because you're basically taking money out of their pockets. Yeah. And I think if that happens, it'll be proof that what you're doing is great and is correct and is righteous because if they're pushing back, that means you're doing something right. And I'm sure, have you gotten any pushback? Have you heard anything oh, yeah. from the, that, that community at all? Or mm, Not from pharma, but I guess we'll see in a couple of weeks when I speak at a conference, the Healthcare Advocate Summit, where a lot of them are paying and sponsoring the event. So I'll be calling out some of them, but um, nothing on that scale yet. I don't think I'm on the level of Zendaya and <laughs> Dope Sick, but um, uh, I guess I'm approaching it differently, but... Um, I can't wait to get it because uh, it means I'm doing Absolutely. the right thing. Well, That's right. Okay, so we this hour flew. God, yeah. this is a huge <laughs> subject. I, I'm, I first of all, thank you so much. Is there anything you wanted to say that we didn't touch on and um, that you think would be important information or just how, just how? Um, just don't be afraid to advocate for people over medicated, man. You don't have to worry about your license or where you stand. But if you literally are seeing someone on 10, 20 meds, ask what have they done to talk to a pharmacist and how can they get them off safely? Now, regarding the work I'm doing, I'm all over social media. So I'll be doing a video campaign where I'm detailing the info about RG prescribing accelerators. So Follow me on LinkedIn. You can look up my name, Dr. DeLon Canterbury, or check out my website, uh, geriatrics.org. Um, but I'm all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. You can search geriatrics or just search my name, DeLon Canterbury. That's geriatrics, G-E-R-I-A-T-R-X as in x-ray.org. So I love the title. I love you. And I love what you're doing. And I think you, and your and your granny will is so proud of you, and um, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. And uh, you know, it, and at the end of the day, it's like Thank it's it, love is what is what. That's why we say, you know, what we say we because always love say. is so powerful. <laughs> and what happens? To, like, what what do we say, Don? We do say that love is powerful. Love is contagious. And love conquers alls. We thank everyone for listening today. Please follow us, like, subscribe, do anything you can do so we can get that word out there. And, and, and to have such important, wonderful guests like Dr. DeLon Canterbury. And uh, hopefully we'll hear and see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And bless your heart. Seriously.